you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member, you'll know a thing or two about an expertly packed capsule wardrobe that balances business and leisure. So you can go from conference sleek to cocktail party chic with a few new accessories. You can hustle from 9 to 5 before exploring with ease from 5 to 9. Because you're the chief excursion officer. The Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know business. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm tired. My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families, like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Hello, Sunrise listeners. We recorded the following talk during the weeks following George Floyd's horrific murder on May 25th, 2020. We came together to share our outrage, our pain, our frustration, and also our hope as we discussed how to navigate the aftermath of this devastating tragedy. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Welcome to our weekly Sunrise Project call. I would like to open up with our weekly prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This morning, our intention is to find a moment of solace and peace during all that we're dealing with and to create a safe space that's filled with love, compassion, and a desire for us to heal our children, our families, and ourselves. I'm going to turn it over right now to Dr. Linda McGee, who will um, share on finding hope in the face of despair. Uh, and this week, we're going to do something a little bit different as well. So, uh, Linda, I'm turning it over to you right now. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Um, welcome. Today, Kelly and I talked about bringing our truest selves to this call and to allow us to be able to express how we feel 
across America about the events of the last few weeks, but to also to try to find signs of hope. But when I wrote what I'm getting ready to read you, it was about a week ago, and um, it came from my heart, and I want to share it with you. After, I'm going to share with you what I see as some signs of hope now that I've had some time to reflect and process. You came out of my womb with a struggle. You had a black eye, and my mother said we both look like we've been in a fight. But after, you were placed in my arms. You looked directly in my eyes as if you could see me. No bleary-eyed stare for you. It was direct inquisitive and trusting. You inhaled and exhaled into my face. Your breath was so fresh. I stared amazed that you could come out of all of the debris of birth and smell so good. It was a moment of purity, sacred and surreal. It was hushed like church in that delivery room. I'll never forget the feeling of reverence. My world shifted on its axis and I fell hard so deep in love, so clear in purpose. A newfound direction at 38, to love, nurture, and protect. I did my best, my husband did too, to raise them right. We did not always do the right thing, but we tried. Though he's not perfect, we love and like the adult he has become. But we brought him into an America that does not see him for what he is. They don't see his sharp and creative mind who told me what he saw in the clouds when he was two. They don't see the sweetness of the boy who liked to put his hand between the car seats to hold my hand while I was driving. They don't see the joyful boy who sang to and from school. They don't see the fun-loving boy who told me he was nocturnal when he was five and that he wanted to attend night kindergarten. They don't see the boy who tells me that he thinks he's an old soul, who doesn't see what his peers see in social media. They don't see the boy who was awarded a gold nail in his elementary school for sitting next to a kid, sitting all by himself at lunch. They don't see the boy who told me Jesus would not approve when I told him to fight a bully. They don't see the young man who has helped his friends with academic assignments during COVID. They don't see the teenager up at midnight trying to remember 400 Mandarin vocabulary words. They don't see the young man who still thanks me for cooking his dinner every time. Instead, the world sees this incredible, amazing spirit and gentle giant as a threatening person, as a thug. The police have stopped him on several occasions with no cause, for no other reason than the color of his skin. The events of the past months have gutted me. I fear every time he leaves the house, but I don't want to clip his wings. I'm torn between giving him the talk and telling him to go out and be fearless and change the screwed up world. So I'm not okay this week. I'm disheartened and discouraged, but my friends, I'm not unusual nor is my son. I'm a black mother of a black son. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm just collecting myself. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, normally and our, oh, go ahead, Linda. I was just going to see, I, before I talked about how I'm feeling now, I wanted to just throw it out there and see if anybody had anything they wanted to share. I'll just share that that really touched me because I think, especially when I talk with my son's siblings, that they seem to see only the current him. And Mm -hmm. for me as a parent, I see all the kinds of things that you talked about in that uh, piece that you remember the joyful moments and the inquisitiveness and kind of who the person really is at their core beyond their illness. And sometimes they are so overwhelmed and frustrated with the current behavior that they're not as forgiving or just kind of worn out. Um, So I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's also very interesting that a lot of racial trauma is in, is in connected with our, our children's conditions. All right, so you know, I wrote those things, like I said, a week in, a week ago, and when I've, I've had a chance to do more talks and appear in the media, and and so these are my thoughts from right now, my signs of hope. One is is that the events of the last couple of months, they took place in the backdrop of African-Americans and even Americans in general being more aware of and accepting, embracing, and talking about mental health. Um, In our community, we've had celebrities, Jay-Z, Taraji B. Henson, many athletes get out there and talking about the need to have a therapist and mood disorders and bipolarism. And so the, the events of the last few weeks in terms of racial trauma have been significant, but they've taken place in a backdrop where people feel like that they can get help. And I want to tell you that um, both from a personal perspective and the perspective of my peers who I've been talking to daily, their phones are ringing off the hook. So, and that's a good thing that even though people are distressed and that's why they're calling, that they are calling their mental health professionals. They are calling their insurance companies. Um, They are figuring out how to get help even in the midst of this COVID epidemic. Um, And, you know, I have some statistics on that I'll give you later. A second sign of hope is that young people are finding their voices and their strengths. We should be happy and gratified to know that we've raised children who are strong and who uh, see a name injustice and are getting out and fighting it. They're not taking it. Um, A second added benefit is that we as parents are backing them in the struggle. And so, you know, many times in history, um, you know, 
the generations are not aligned in terms of where they are in the struggle. But in our communities, it seems like there is a really strong alignment between the younger generation and the generation of their parents. Um, there is also a sense of injustice that is being felt and reverberated across the planet. Um, so there's a coalition around the notion that African Americans are the subject of uh, unfair brutality that are not being treated equally and uh, the, a sense of injustice vis-a-vis African American citizens. Connect, closely connected with that thought is the worldwide support. I don't know if any of you had the opportunity to look at, you know, the news in the last few days, but, you know, there have been rallies all over the world. Um, And some of the enduring images with me are the ones that are around the world, but some of the ones that are in America. Um, There have been demonstrations in all white, basically all white counties in Alabama. Um, There have been demonstrations in states all across the America where there are no black people. This morning I woke up to an image of a, a Marine standing in front of the Utah Capitol, white Marine protesting all by himself. Um, and on his, in uniform with a mask that said, I can't breathe. Um, so there is a worldwide support for our struggle. And finally, I see an African-American that understands, accepts, and embraces, and is processing racial trauma, understanding that it takes its toll on our physical and mental health. Um, And we understand also that it's a two-pronged struggle, right? We have to fight within the larger American society uh, for our rights, but we also have to take care within our own communities, uh, process our hurts, and promote healing. And we are looking to the broader picture of how we can advance our own efforts. Um, so those are my five signs of hope. And I want to throw it back to Kelly to ask her what she's sort of seeing and how she's feeling. You know, I agree with everything you said. And, you know, what we've been working on and what I've been focused on um, is really in the midst of all of this, focusing on mm-hmm. finding peace and really working on myself mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. being patient with myself and with my kids specifically. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my emotions are heightened. I'm irritated frequently. I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm not sleeping, you know, like all of us on this phone. And that's not different than anybody, I'm sure. And so for me, I'm, I'm uh, really trying to find little slices of self-care and little moments to be alone mm-hmm. and to work through all of the uh, grief and the frustration and all of that. At the same time, um, you know, very blessed to be working still and have clients and the nature of our work is helping people understand cultural nuances, meaning companies. And so within that space, uh, it's been really gratifying to work with a handful of amazing companies that really mean it and that are really 
working to make concrete actions to make an impact on the black community. So seeing that and working through that and helping companies all this week has been um, really gratifying and exhausting, of course. So I'm feeling you know, tired, I'm feeling anxious, and yet very much hopeful because of the work I know a lot of us are doing um, and the funding that is coming from major corporations to actually do something for a change. So I'm feeling hopeful in the midst of being exhausted, <laughs> but I'm hopeful. And that's a wonderful thing. And I think these calls have, have been tremendously helpful for me, again, as I'm you know, looking very closely at myself and what is, why do I care that my child is sleeping until three o'clock or four o'clock? You know, I know he's depressed. So, you know, what, you know, what does it matter that he's not you know, doing something that I think he should be doing? Does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? So I have been really, really focusing on my why and what's behind my need or my desire for my children to do certain things and really trying to relax that pressure for them and for myself. That has been really helpful. And, uh, you know, all of these calls, I, I gather nuggets of wisdom. So it's been really helpful for me these last few weeks as we're all going through this as a nation and as a community of, you know, primarily black mothers, although, you know, all mothers can feel, you know, this pain. So that's how I'm feeling. I mean, what you, what, mm -hmm. what you outline is pretty typical. Um, people are not sleeping. Um, they're processing some with tears, some with anger, some are demonstrating, some are volunteering. Um, all of these things are pretty normal. I will just say on a personal note, I have given myself permission to take very long breaks during the day because I'm seeing clients, I'm consulting with other psychologists. Um, I have um, white allies who are, are seeking my help and my guidance and my thoughts, but I have spared myself on many days when I have felt um, overwhelmed or burdened to just take time to give myself permission to not speak to everyone who seeks me out. Um, and so I have taken my, uh, my uh, pedometer is, is high now because I've been taking a lot of long walks and I've been trying to take the time to process. Uh, so that's how I've handled things um, to promote my own self-care above, you know, ab above others um, and in order and to be fully present for my clients in whatever way that I can as they're processing and the parents of my clients as they're processing the events. And, you know, all of this in the backdrop of a global pandemic. Um, so to, like, continue to talk to people about distancing and taking care of themselves physically and mentally while we're protesting and processing injustice, um, but also to do it within the confines of safety during COVID. So with that, I'd like to just open things up. I mean, you can stick with the topics that we talked about, or you could talk about anything that's on your mind today. This is kind of a boundaries health-related question. Um, my, my one son 
has been interested very much in protesting and in participating, um, even though he deals with some anxiety issues. And I was a little concerned, but he's 23. Um, But what we said was, you'll have to consider self-quarantining when you come back to the family, because we have some health conditions, particularly my husband, that could make a COVID-19 diagnosis really threatening. And he seemed to hear that as maybe you don't want me back um, kind of thing. But I'm, I'm interested in letting him know that he's welcome here, but also that this is a real health concern. And if he does come back right after being out in crowds, he lives in the basement that he may have to really make some changes. So I'm just interested in help with talking that through with him so that he feels loved and accepted and yet understands the boundary. Well, I don't know everything about your situation, but one of the things that I'm hearing with what you said is that, you know, a lot of times with anxiety and, and young adults, there is a sense that they're trying to justify or prove that their choices are good choices, right? And when there is any pushback, they automatically view it, not just like you, you, you said, I can't do the thing, but they internalize that you think that they can't do the thing, right? Like they, they, they lack the ability to make good choices and to let their, let their opinions be known. So we're having this parallel conversation. You're saying to him, he's saying to you, I want to march. You're saying to him, yes, that's fine. Um, but could you do it in these conditions because of our pre-existing health conditions? But he might be hearing, you know, you're just pushing back either because, A, you don't believe in what we're doing, two, you don't think that I can make good choices around this. You know, so what I would like for you to do is to try to understand that when you're having a conversation with him, um, is that he, you want to fully back his opinion to be autonomous, but you want to like help him in a consultant kind of a way as to how he can do it, right? So what you did, you were suggesting that he has to quarantine or isolate. Um, One other thing you might suggest is that he gets a mask because the protests that are in this area, they are fairly, I mean, there are a lot of people at those rallies. I noticed yesterday, though, that when I looked at the pictures in Washington, D.C., where Kelly and I are, well, Kelly is based here. Uh, Kelly Kelly hadn't been here in a while. She didn't left me. But um, there were a lot more masks yesterday. So you might want to help him look at, invest in, even maybe find a mask with a logo on it. But if you could find a way for him not to quarantine, like if he wore the mask and kept it on the whole time, would you would you believe him? And would could you support him not quarantining if he if he promised to wear a mask the whole time? Um, but just try to find ways to have that conversation with him in a way that you understand that he thinks that you're doubting his ability to make decisions. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. But I fully support you making a stand to protect your health and the health of the people in your family. So if you don't think that he has the ability, even while I'm telling you to act like you think he does have the ability, but if underneath you don't think he has the ability to make those kind of decisions, then I do think a conversation of we support you marching, but it has to do you have to do so under the context of social distancing and protecting the family. Thank you. I I did try to do that, but as usual, I don't mm-hmm. think I was as vocal about my support, and which mm-hmm. is where I need to amplify my my, my efforts in letting him know I support you. I'm you know glad that you believe in this movement so much, et cetera. And also, he he already told me. I've been around so many people without masks and everything. He was like, it's just kind of bedlam out here. So I, he was cognizant that that is somewhat dangerous. Right. So he's already seen it, but it's just how he transitions back in. There was some little pushback, like, oh, I don't know what he said, but it was something like, well, maybe you don't want me to come back or something. It was like, oh, gosh. So, right. And, you know, so that's the pull, right? So you, you start the conversation with, you, you know that you may not be leading with what is really bothering him, right, which is that you don't think he, he can make, he thinks you don't, he, don't, he can't make good decisions. And what he's coming back with you is a pool, you just must not care. So, like, I would advise you to, like, resist the urge to, to, to defend that, right? But, you know, try to stay firm and to the point. You know we care about you. You know that's not the issue. Let's just talk about ways that it can be done. Now, in the practical sense, I'm driving down the street. I'm seeing kids, black boys, they're playing basketball without masks right now. So, you know, I don't want you to feel like I'm suggesting that you don't take care of your physical health. Um, And, you, you know, so you might have to risk having a little bit of a dust up in this instance, but just like thinking about the ways that you guys interact and the patterns as you go forward might be helpful when you're discussing things with him. Thank you. Can I add something to the um, the woman talking about her, her son wanting to go protest? Um, my son wanted to, to protest as well. And when when the pandemic first started, we went through our house and, and figured out what does safety look like? What does it mean to come into the house and only have a certain pair of shoes you wear out and, and spraying them down and keeping them in, in the one area in our foyer where it can not be tracked through the house? And, you know, can he take responsibility for, we live in a five-story townhouse, so can he take responsibility for sweeping all the floors from top to bottom and then disinfecting them from room to room? And so I, I 
really co-created with him what does this new routine look like and what things can he take control of since this is a time when we all feel so out of control and really talking about the fact that I don't know what a pandemic looks like. <laughs> you know, we're, this is something we're going through together at the first time. Now, I have more wisdom because I've been on this earth longer ostensibly, but you have wisdom that you came here with in your soul. And let's let's figure out what it looks like for us. So when he came to me the other day and, you know, and said, Mom, I really feel like I need to go protest, I kind of fell back on that. I was, okay, so what does that look like? If you do that, what does that look like in the house with me being the only point of contact for my elderly mother who lives alone in a senior community where they now won't let other people into their individual apartment complexes? You know, I said, so what does that look like with me being that, that point lifeline for your grandmother? And, and what we got to was, okay, maybe there's a way for, for you to protest that doesn't involve you actually being boots on the ground. You know, is it making calls? Is it writing letters? Is it calling for people that have been arrested, um, supporting them with resources to get them out, you know, other ways that we could do it. And, and as we started to create this alternate universe, that's very much the same universe he started to feel empowered. He started to feel like his action, his voice could matter. And it could matter in a way that was not mutually exclusive to also taking care of his family and, and being that, that resource in the house that really is driving a lot of the stuff that we need. I can't physically do myself. You know, I can, but it's just going to be really hard. And, and so that responsibility for him, I've, I've seen it grow him up so much over this last three months. And it's been a beautiful thing to see. So maybe, maybe there's a way to come at it where you guys can work together to, mm-hmm. to fight the power, you know, and, and keep your family safe at the same time. Awesome suggestion because there are, you know, there's a kid in this neighborhood who, um, for reasons of asthma, can't go and protest. And so he has become like the social media master of organizing and sharing information on the myriad of protests that are going on around the Beltway in Washington, Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. Um, So he's been circulating through all of the neighborhood um, newsletters, marches, and then, you know, when we have these incidents where there's like, like we had this incident in Maryland, where the person attacked people packing up signs, he was one of the people that helped the police track down who the person was. Um, so you're right. There are just many, many ways to serve um, without going to a march when there's 30,000 people. I um, have been struggling with this question, especially about mental health and social distancing. And um, I do have a daughter. Um, and she has, in the height of, uh, through the pandemic, uh, would disappear and then come back again. And we sort of gone through this sort of cycle uh, with me. Uh, she does live in the basement. And, um, uh, but unfortunately, I mean, it, you know, it's like a cycle of work. She has stopped 
during the pandemic going to therapy. And um, during the cycle, she would either disappear. And um, we've explained when she's herself um, that there are boundaries. However, um, she's 21. She would go, this is a pandemic, or you're being dramatic. She thinks she can't get COVID, and she can't. She thinks that I can't get COVID. She thinks I'm being dramatic. And so it's like this would happen every two weeks, and we go through the sort of self-quarantining, except when she's in the mania one time, she wanted to use the kitchen to go cook. And, of course, she's cooking. Everything is being touching. This is like right after. And she got really, it was loud. I mean, her rage at me trying to enforce this boundary Mm-hmm. was palpable. Um, I, I really appreciate the comments before about I'm trying to be calm, saying that, you know, you, we have choices. We can work this thing out. Uh, but but she's making a choice. Uh, she, she went out again overnight. Uh, she's working some. I, I would say before this she was working, and she was working some, but she went out again because she thinks that with Phase one of reopening, that means she can go and see her friends. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't feel safe. Mm. And it's breaking my heart because I do not want to have to take further measures. And, you know, even explaining to this, she's so utterly dismissive. And then the afternoon, she acts as if it's nothing happening. She's concerned about my health. She's wearing her mask. And so, like the other, I have no confidence right now that she is in a position to manage her behavior because she's actively in whatever she's doing, however normal she acts at one part of the day. And when she doesn't mm-hmm. go out, she drinks. So, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I need to, you know, just say that you can't come here anymore or find you need to find another place to live, which is where I am right now, because if she's not doing that, you know, I don't know when she comes, goes through another rage cycle. And she's gone through two scary cycles since I've been in here, where she got into my face. And one time I locked myself in my room. So, um, you know, I don't know, you know, if I enforce therapy or we have joint therapy, I don't know what those boundaries look like. So I just need help. Thank you. I want to start off by saying it's really obvious that this is, this situation is a crisis. And um, I am going to talk to you after this call. The situation that you're in is the situation that um, many people with children with mental illness are experiencing. The kids have been cooped up for a long time, and we've been cooped up with them. And they now can't deal with it emotionally anymore, and they're, they're making their forays out. Um, there's a couple of questions that I would have 
though, if there's a situation where therapy and medication were in play and they weren't in play and they aren't in play now, we definitely would have to address that. I mean, you're, you're in a situation now where you need some third-party supports um, because, you know, you're balancing off her interests against your interests. And um, also, it sounds like safety is an issue. And it has to be the number one priority um, in terms of your physical safety, in terms of your physical health, but also in terms of her threatening behaviors. So, you know, you really need to make sure that you're safe and think through, and I will help you think through after this call, ways of keeping yourself safe. Um, But the primary thing is that we need to get her to buy into going back to get treatment and possibly medication so that her emotion, she's able to control her emotions enough to not be threatened to you and to find, to, to give you help and support in negotiating um, how she can be in the house. I've had several parents in the last month or two talk to me about Um, putting their kids out. And, um, you know, normally that's not a situation that I would advocate. But like I said, if your child is unregulated and you have underlying um, vulnerabilities and they won't segregate and your personal safety is at risk, all options need to be on the table. But I want you to reach out to me after this call and we can talk to them and talk about it in a more personal way um, with regard to your situation. Thank you. Kelly, did you have anything you wanted to add or any caller on the line have anything they wanted to add about circumstances that they're in that might be similar? No, I was just, as I was listening to that caller, I was just thinking how I've been there so much with mm-hmm. my son and uh, mm-hmm. the lack of regard mm-hmm. for physical um, safety. And uh, as COVID was picking up, he was leaving every day, running out the house in the middle of the night, coming back completely, you know, just no regard. And uh, we've worked through a lot of that. We're better, but still we have major issues um, that's brought up regularly. And one of the things I have practiced recently, which I've found to be helpful, is opening up every sentence. Things, I love you and I'm very concerned right. about your behavior, you know, and I love you and I need to walk away right now, you know, before I jack you up. That's what I wouldn't say that part, but that's how I'm feeling a lot mm-hmm. of times. But opening with I love you and, you know, you're breaking my heart and here's why has been, I think, really helpful. I've seen a difference in how he listens and how we're communicating. We still have our moments. We had one yesterday morning and, um, Yet then later in the day was better. So I just want to say I have so been there and Linda has helped me, you know, off a ledge countless times over the last several yeah, you, years. Mm-hmm. You always lead with the nurture, but, you know, we're in this pandemic. So if you have a child as addicted or you have a child who's in a, you know, very seriously mood disorder like bipolarity, Yes, it's 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 a sometimes the the thing that you're facing in front of you is not is not your kid. It's physically your kid, 
but you're literally talking to the addiction. You are literally talking to the mania. And yes. oftentimes they can't hear you, right? They can't, they cannot hear what you're saying. And you're looking at them like, where is my child? You sound like a monster, but they can't really empathize or be in a place where they see you as their mother, the, the place that you would normally take in their life, the position of a high honor and esteem is not there because the addiction and the illness is in control. That's why, you know, what I said, even though it seemed like a little clinical, is we have, you have to, we have to get the kid back in treatment. You know, it, that is the key to having any kind of safety in your house during the pandemic. So in many ways, their responses mimic the way that, you know, they will respond to you. Like Kelly was just saying, sometimes the lack of caring, but that, that demonstrates itself with those issues regardless. But because we're in a pandemic, it makes it seem like more heartless and more mean um, that they're treating you this way. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And I just want to share, say again, for the last person that spoke, you know, we have all been there, maybe to certain degrees more than others. And so really appreciate you sharing, because by sharing, it helps other people as well. So thank you. Does anyone else want to share or have a question for Linda? I kind of alluded to this earlier. Can you give any tips for helping the other adult siblings in understanding how to interact or to understand why? I think from their perspective, they believe their father and I are being so lenient because we allow their brother to say things that may not seem respectful, et cetera. And what I've said is kind of what you just said, that it may seem like your brother, just a really mean version of him, but actually it's his mental illness speaking. And so we are working. I'm not privy to tell you everything we're doing with him or requiring, but we are working to keep him on his medication and in treatment, and I know it's stressful for you, but I don't want to discount their feelings, which is what I'm kind of hearing from them lately that, you know, gosh, it seems like you bend over backwards for him and we just have to walk on eggshells and he can do anything and you're not hearing how this is difficult for us. Um, you doing a lot of the right things already. But I, I want you to know that I see a lot in my caseload over the years, siblings of a child who's either gone through trauma or who's suffering from mental illness. And um, Kelly can speak to this also. This is something that we, uh, we overlook because we're so sucked into the crisis of the child that's in crisis that the impact on the sibling sometimes is very significant. Um, and, and can also cause them to struggle with stress or, and depression and anxiety. Um, you know, the first thing I want to say is going to sound blunt, but I just really want um, you to do more of what you've been doing, which you said, which was you admit that this is, this is a messed up situation for them, the siblings. Mm -hmm. um, just admit it, that it just sucks. And um, that 
it's difficult for you because your attentions are, are divided. And you may not be there in a way that you um, would if the other, if the uh, troubled sibling wasn't troubled. Um, and I just feel like that allowing your child to have some amount of expression of negativity of the situation is good. Uh, just by, by acknowledging and, and not labeling them a whiner or somebody who's asked, demanding attention, I think goes a long way. And you can do that in a way that doesn't fixate on the negative, but just allow them to sit with and be with the fact that, that is, it is an unfair situation and it's not good. Um, also urge them to have them educate themselves about the condition. That'll help if they understand a little bit more about what the child, what the uh, sibling is going through. So encourage them to, ed to educate themselves. You might send your non-affected child um, materials about bipolar or obsessive compulsive. Um, and then you want to encourage them to confide in others, like their mm -hmm. friends. And if, if, if necessary, help them to find support groups um, or counseling for their own issues. There, there are groups out there for siblings of people with mental illness. There are groups out there um, and, and therapists out there who specialize in family therapy. And so you might need to go to a family therapist and have a few sessions directed toward helping you and the parents and the siblings to adjust and negotiate around the child that has the mental illness or that has the addiction. Finally, as best you can, given that you're overwhelmed by trying to balance the uh, ailing child, is to try to find time and space for the affected siblings. Um, so that might mean you might take off for a weekend and go celebrate their graduation by really, really focusing on them and really like just, you know, having a set time in the month or the week where you can focus on them and their needs. Like you might pick them up on Thursdays or if they're grown, you might try to go to dinner with them. But just taking time from them when you can to focus on them and their needs and to try to not have at that particular conversation the focus be on the, on the siblings who is, is struggling. That's good. Yeah. I have encouraged them to, you know, get in therapy and even said we'll pay. I know one has taken advantage of it, one has not. But I didn't even realize there were groups. So that's a new resource for me to look into for them. So thank you. And I, Kelly and I will look toward posting some of those. Thanks. Great. Thank you for that. Linda, did you want to say any last few words? I know we talk about this all the time, but as I just want to urge your parents out there on this call to take some time for yourself to process. Take the time to let yourself feel. Support yourself. Don't feel guilty because you're prioritizing your own physical and mental health. You are important. You matter. And I wish you all the best.
Thank you so much for that. And thank you uh, for this morning's call. I'm going to close with a prayer. Thank you, dear Father, for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to wake up and be here today. Sometimes when there's nothing else that we can do, we must just stand in the presence of God and accept. Other times there are options, but we don't know what they are. Again, we must stand in the presence of God and discern. Sometimes when we don't know what to do, we must summon the courage and we must stand in the presence of God and pray for strength. Though sometimes are today and today's times, we must have courage and confidence and faith knowing that God will see us through. In some of the fiercest storms of life, we might think we need a new promise for strength, but we must remember the promises that God has already given. He leads us into winds and storms to show us just how unbreakable his promises are. We must place our trust and hope in those promises found in the scriptures. God will keep his promise because he is faithful. In the midst of our crazy storms and sleepless nights and sunless days, we don't know how God will deliver us, but we do have his promises. When we get to the end of each storm, we will be able to say, my soul looks back and wonders, how did I get over this? Never once did God fail to keep his promise. And in all of these times, he will deliver us and heal us. All will be well in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a beautiful week everyone and we will be back next week thank you for being here and thank you linda for your words have a beautiful day everyone thank you thank you i'm kelly richardson lawson and you've been listening to the sunrise project podcast you can follow sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts if you haven't yet open your podcast app and follow this show join us next week for another gathering of support thank you for listening If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or email at info at nami.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.